It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on Inverness Terrace in Bayswater, W2. Two streets west of the three possible murders of Vincent Carey. A few doors north of the stabbing of US Airman Stanley Thurman. And two streets west of the sadistic sex pest known as the Bearded Man. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Inverness Terrace is a quiet little side street between Hyde Park, Paddington and Notting Hill. Dotted with cheap little B&Bs for tourists, many guests dismiss the damp walls, sticky sheets and deluxe views of the bins out back, feeling they've got value for money if it includes a complimentary sliver of soap, two tea bags, a stale biscuit and a splat of shampoo. Barely enough to scrub three hairs and half a nipple. And yet freebies aside, we all flippantly take our safety in a strange room, as if it's a given. In 1972, at 86-90 Inverness Terrace, once stood the Queen's Hotel. A row of five-story townhouses knocked through to create a 60-roomed guesthouse with accommodation for residents and staff. A regular customer was 68-year-old Emmy Werner, a harmless little dot of a lady who suffered with dementia owing to the horrors of her past. But having found a place to stay, as well as much-needed company among the youthful and friendly staff, here she felt safe. Or at least, she should have been. On the morning of Sunday the 17th of September 1972, in room 11, Emmy was found dead in her bed. Having locked her door from the inside, gaining entry, someone had beaten, suffocated and strangled her. It was a cruel and motiveless crime on a defenseless old lady which remains unsolved to this day. And yet the evidence you are about to hear has never been released. My name is Michael. I am your tour guide. And this 
is Murder Mile. Episode 176, The Night Porter, Part 1. It's impossible to comprehend the tragedy that Emmy Werner had suffered and survived in her life, only to end up dead in a bed in a Bayswater hotel. But who would wish her harm, and why? Emmy was born on the 3rd of January 1904 in Brno the second largest city in Czechoslovakia after Prague. Raised as the first of two daughters in a middle-class Jewish family, to Helen, a housewife, and Dr. Emil, a lawyer, she was educated until the age of 18 and became a secretary in her father's legal practice. Neighbored by Germany, Austria, Poland, and Hungary, Czechoslovakia was forged from the ashes of the First World War. Being a predominantly German-speaking city, where Jews only made up 4% of its people, the city's boundary was redrawn to dilute the stranglehold that its German nationals held. From the armistice onwards, the Czech city of Bruno was seen as a safe haven for Jews. As for its people, the horrors of the war were now a figment of the past. For Emmy, her early life was good. Being barely a dot, at just seven stone in weight and four foot eleven inches high, what she lacked in size, she more than gained in intelligence and confidence. With a neatness which typified her nature, a compassion which burst from her smile, and a walk fueled with an inner strength. She was a woman who could take on the world if she had to, and she would. In 1925, 21-year-old Emmy married a prosperous dentist called Albert Werner. Three years later, their only child, a daughter called Hedy, was born, and they lived in a frat in Bruno, staffed by two servants. This was their home, their lives, their everything. But soon, it would be taken. With Hitler coming to power in 1933, the Nazis implemented the persecution and segregation of the Jews in stages. Beginning with state-sponsored racism, anti-Jewish legislation, boycotts and violence. Following the annexation of Austria and the incorporation of the Czechoslovakian border known as the Sudetenland into Germany, with the rest of the country weak and defenceless, on the 15th of March 1939, the German army marched into Prague and like many Czech cities and towns, Bruno soon followed. Five months before the German invasion of Poland, and Neville Chamberlain's reluctant declaration of war, the Nazis took control of the city. With the calm of an icy wind and the ease of a summer breeze, 
more than a hundred thousand troops, trucks and tanks crawled into the city streets like a parade of peace. No shots were fired and no shouts were heard as the citizens of Bruno stood in a mix of awe and terror. Every citizen saw this occupation through different eyes. For the German nationals, they saluted with jubilation and waved their swastikas high. For the Czechs, many sobbed, as with the first war still fresh in their memories, a second war was too unthinkable. And as for the city's Jews, their uncertain future was to be feared. Like thousands of others, Emmy, Albert and Hedy Werner were unable to flee their home city of Bruno, and there they would remain for the next three years. With laws written to persecute them for their religion, life was hard for Emmy and her family. In a city already gripped with blackouts and rationing, any non-Aryans were forced to stitch a yellow star upon their clothes identifying them as a people to be persecuted. This was their home, and yet they were denied the most basic of services, education, employment and medicine, access to shops, parks and public baths. They couldn't travel, trade, pray, or even sit on selected benches. Whereas once, Bruno was a place for families, the children who played hopscotch in the streets now marched as part of Hitler's youth. Neighbor ratted out neighbor simply to survive. People were sent to prison for expressing opposing views. Some vanished into Gestapo HQs never to return. And any dissenters were executed in the streets. With their relatives forced to cover the cost, of their deaths. Subjected to abuse, assaults, and their possessions confiscated without recourse. For many like Emmy and her family, their lives were little more than a prison, of which their sentence was indefinite. They endured three years of isolation and terror. And yet no one foresaw the apocalyptic horror which was yet to come. On the 11th of July 1941, codenamed Operation Reinhardt, Adolf Hitler implemented the systematic murder of the Jews by initially establishing three killing centers at Belzec, Sobibor and Treblinka in Poland, inflicting a slaughter on an industrial scale and killing six million Jews, two-thirds of those in Europe. We know this now, but back then, amidst the chaos of war, it was just a rumor. From 1941 to 42, 10,000 men, women and children, almost the city's entire Jewish population, 
were deported from Brno to Theresienstadt in the Bohemian region of Czechoslovakia. Built as a fortress, the camp had a dual purpose. As a transit point, where thousands were held, before being sent to labor camps and killing centers like Dachau and Auschwitz, but also as a propaganda tool for the Nazis. On the 1st of April 1942, Emmy, her husband Albert, and their daughter Hedy were sent to the Theresienstadt camp. Under the guise of a resettlement center, families boarded trains with their luggage, believing they would survive the war in relative safety. With guaranteed jobs in factories, a roof over their heads, and food in their bellies. Living a better life than they had done in the ghettos of their own cities. Only this belief was as much a myth as the camp itself. Arriving in Theresienstadt, their details were taken. An onward journey was noted. They ate their first hot meal in weeks. And given a pen and paper, they were asked to write letters to their loved ones, reassuring those left behind that they were safe. The letters were sent, and the cruel lie became fact. Described in Nazi propaganda as a model camp, Theresienstadt was a facade designed to hide the real horrors of Hitler's plan. Under the hoax that this was a spa town where families and the elderly could retire in safety. Prior to an inspection by the Red Cross in June 1944, gardens were planted, homes were painted, and fake shops were built as the prisoners danced wearing forced smiles for fear of death. Emmy lived amongst the filth for three years, never knowing if she would see another day, if her daughter would starve, if her mother or sister had lived, or if her husband was even alive. With the Allies advancing, seeking to destroy any evidence of the genocide, on the 2nd of February 1945, 47-year-old Albert Werner, Emmy's husband of 17 years, was executed in the gas chambers at Dachau. On the 5th of May 1945, with the camp liberated, Emmy and Hedy were free. Unconditional surrender of all German land, sea and air forces in Europe and although the war was over, their physical and psychological trauma had only just begun. Today is victory in Europe Day. Three days later, scenes of jubilation dotted our smoldering continent as the Allies celebrated victory in Europe. Street parties erupted, bands rang out, and returning servicemen hugged their sweethearts. For many, 
life returned to normal, as the worst they would endure would be rationing for a few more years. But for those chosen few, who like Emmy, had survived the Holocaust, existence was just a memory. Physically, having endured starvation, malnutrition, tuberculosis, typhoid, and or dysentery, as well as punitive wounds like dog bites, whiplashes, beatings, and gunshots, many survivors would continue to suffer from a wealth of medical issues for years and even decades to come, right up until the day they died. Upon liberation, Thousands of survivors would die eating their first solid meal, as having been starved to the point where they were just skin and bones. Their stomachs could no longer digest food. Mentally, although resilient, in the years before PTSD was understood and feelings were hidden by a stiff upper lip, those who lived through these horrors often suffered with higher levels of anxiety, paranoia and depression, a greater risk of suicide and schizophrenia, and were more likely to develop dementia in their later years owing to displaced trauma. Those who many said were lucky to have survived often felt an unbearable sense of guilt having lived, later known as survivor syndrome. For the sake of her family, although only a dot, through raw strength, Emmy struggled on in the post-war years. But three years of occupation and three years of imprisonment had taken its toll. In June 1945, Emmy and her daughter were just three of 1,033 Jews from Bruno who had survived the Theresienstadt camp. Of the 10,081 Jews deported from this city, only a tenth made it home. Only once home, their pain did not end. Dressed in nothing but a ragged prison uniform and a serial number permanently inked into their left arm or breast, many returned to find nothing. No home, no work, no family, no money, and no possessions. Everything had either been looted or smashed. Between June 1945 and September 46, Emmy and Hedy Werner tried to live as best as they could in the bombed-out remains of Bruno. But life was a struggle. Taking a job in a Jewish community office, Emmy found her mother, Helen, and her sister, Anna, alive in London. And she moved to be near them. This should have been the end of her torture. But the worst was yet to come. Emmy began her new life in London, a smashed, smouldering city 
pockmarked with daily reminders of death. Being surrounded by family was a blessing, but she had little else except memories and grief. As a refugee, although educated, she could only get work as a cleaner. So her meager earnings were supplemented by a disability allowance and a widow's pension from the German government as part of their reparations to the victims of the Holocaust. But living, for many, was as terrifying as dying. Her daughter Hedy would state, In the three years since, she thought the people were following her. She tried to commit suicide by taking an overdose of pills and to cut her wrists. Her mental decline was so swift that Hedy and Emmy's sister Anna had her admitted to the Bethlehem Hospital, an infamous form of Victorian asylum known as Bedlam, which was then a very progressive mental health hospital. Admitted for three years, Emmy underwent the latest procedures. First was ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, a controversial psychiatric remedy where doctors attempted to reboot her brain by placing electrodes on her temples and inducing a current of up to 120 volts for up to six seconds a time. Administered in an era before anesthesia, unmodified ECT came with its own risks, such as memory loss, paralysis, heart failure and broken bones, with some patients left disabled or in a vegetative state. Emmy would survive her treatment, but as Hedy would state, it was not a success. Second was a lobotomy, a neurosurgical treatment with a proven track record in curing epileptics by severing the connections in the brain's prefrontal cortex, which often left the patient with long-lasting side effects, such as vomiting, dizziness, incontinence, vision impairment, abnormal sensations, and even death. In Emmy's case, again, it was not a success. And it left her with two boreholes in her temples. No matter what they tried, Emmy's terror could never be erased. As like the tattoo the Nazis had inked on her, the horror would remain forever. From 1950 to 56, Emmy was admitted to Horden Mental Hospital in Epsom in Surrey as a voluntary inpatient. During her time, doctors described her as quiet and distant, with no enthusiasm for life. So far, in her 52 years alive, she'd endured three years under Nazi occupation, three years in a concentration camp, three years at Bethlehem, and six years at Horton. She'd been a prisoner in life, and in her mind, for 15 years. 
In the summer of 1956, Emmy was discharged from Horton and went to live with her elderly mother in Paddington. Medication had tempered her rages, but she was often confused, scared and rambling. She hoarded food, she became shabby, and like so many others, she was terrified that she was being watched. In October 1966, following her mother's death, Emmy went to live with her daughter Hedy in Bedford. After two decades of mental illness, and now dementia, Hedy tried her best, but this calm and pleasant little dot of a lady had been replaced by a frightened and paranoid woman prone to outbursts of anger. By 1967, Emmy Werner was far from the bright and confident woman that she once was. She was only 63 years old by then, but life had ravaged her body and her mind. Walking with a stoop, this frail tiny lady looked at least 20 years her senior. Her hearing was failing. Her mind was confused. She was incontinent. And she needed help to climb the stairs. That year, through the Association of Jewish Refugees, Emmy was given a bed in an old people's home. Ran by Edgar and Margaret Coldwell, the home at 11 to 13 Fenstanton Avenue in Finchley, North London, was set in a series of two-story semi-detached houses with white walls and black timber frames on a quiet, leafy street. It was nice, but Emmy didn't like living there as she didn't feel welcome or safe. When visiting her sister Anna in Paddington, Emmy would stay at the Queen's Hotel at 86-90 Inverness Terrace in Bayswater. It was cheap and clean, but best of all, the staff were always pleasant and friendly. First staying in May 1972, and three times since, her family in the care home had no issues, as they knew where she was they had a number to call, and in Emmy's own words, the staff were very nice. Linda, the 21-year-old receptionist, would state, When I met Mrs. Werner, we became friendly. She told me she was not happy at home, but at the hotel, she had freedom. Oswald, the 45-year-old manager, liked her, as she always paid on time and in cash. And Paul, the 16-year-old day porter, saw her as a lovely lady who just wanted some friends. She had her quirks, but the staff liked her. The Queen's Hotel was like a home from home, and here she felt safe, warm and welcome. The last time Hedy saw her mum 
was on Saturday the 9th of September 1972, between 3pm and 6pm. Sat in her first floor bedroom of the care home in Finchley, Emmy was her usual self. She had made plans to visit her sister, to stay a few nights at the Queen's Hotel, and she wanted to go to the theatre. Hedy purchased two tickets to the matinee performance of the Ray Cooney farce Move Over Mrs. Markham at the Vaudeville Theatre for the following Saturday. With no friends of her own to go with, the second ticket went to Giovanna, a care assistant at the home, to ensure that Emmy was looked after. On Thursday the 14th of September 1972, at roughly 10.30pm, Emmy entered the Queen's Hotel. Dressed in a brown cardigan and skirt, with a woolly mohair scarf, in her hand she carried a black bag, filled with a spare set of clothes, some tissues, a box of TUC crackers, and a bottle of jasmine perfume. Greeted by Angela, a different receptionist, Paul, the young day porter, telephoned Linda in her room to tell her Mrs. W's here, as Emmy had promised to take her to the theatre too. And although he was blighted by a cold and permanently blew his nose into some toilet tissue, keeping his distance as best he could for fear of passing it on to her, Paul assisted Emmy to the first floor and carried her bag to room 11. It was an ordinary day, and as Paul would say, she was in good health and had no complaints. The room wasn't much, but at just 12 by 15 feet, it contained a single bed, a chest of drawers, a wardrobe, a phone, a radio, a tray of tea, and its own sink. But it shared a bathroom and a toilet. It had a solid door, which was locked with a key, with one given to the guest and one held by reception, and a set of French doors leading to a small, first-floor balcony, which overlooked Inverness Terrace. Friday the 15th of September, the next day, was equally as forgettable. Emmy got up early, she had her breakfast, she visited her sister, and she returned about 10pm. Sat in reception, she chatted with Linda and Paul as per usual, and as Paddy, the night porter, came on shift, Paul assisted her up the stairs to her room. Her spirits were good, Paul would say. She hadn't been followed, harassed, and she seemed happy. So it's unsurprising that Saturday the 16th was as unremarkable as the others, with the only notable difference being that Emmy went to the theatre, aided by Giovanna, the care assistant, and Linda, the receptionist. The play was funny, 
Emmy liked it. They had a light bite and then headed back to the Queen's, where she chatted with Linda, Paul and Patricia, one of the chambermaids. And this time, Linda assisted the frail old lady to her bedroom. Emmy thanked her. She entered room 11. She locked the door behind her and left the key in the lock. As per usual, she undressed. She got into bed. And with not a care in the world, she drifted off to sleep. That was the last time that 68-year-old Emmy Werner was seen alive. Throughout her life, this brave woman had endured more pain, loss and trauma than most people would dare to imagine. And yet, in her last moments alive, someone had subjected this little lady to a slow and torturous death. She had survived so much, only for her life to end here, in a cheap bed, in a Bayswater hotel. Part 2 of 3 of The Night Porter continues next week. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. That's pretty good. Oh, yes! Oh, curtains open, bit of fresh air, have a swig of uh, some Diet Coke. Oh, that's needed, it's the lime one as well.
I don't know why I like the lime one. I don't like lime. I can't eat lime. But for some reason, I like that. Maybe that's because about, that's about as near as I can ever get to lime. Um, let me let me take off let me take off the uh, uh, this. I've got a special hood, a special protective hood for my microphone now. So I'm going to take it off. So there we go. You're off. So you can hear probably differently now. Oh, surround sound. Someone introduced me the, the other day. Uh, a kind of a uh, it's it's like a little. Uh, screen that goes over the top of the microphone and protects from all the outside sounds like ducks and coots and little bastards like that um but uh it's good uh, there's one that everyone said you should get and it's like 140 quid and i thought i'm not going to spend 140 quid on that because it's shite so i found a mock version for 40 quid and i basically just got a knife and i made it fit so there we go uh welcome to extra mile by the way I should have said that at the start. You can tell it's been a while. And while I'm away making a cup of tea, the other me is going to thank you all the new Patreon subscribers. Who are Wesley Blewett, Kat Toland, Jessica King, Adam Pankovicki, Alicia Vazitska, Janine Bordeaux, Matthew Wonsall, and Joseph Hollick. Uh, thank you all. Whoa! My clicker... Uh, for my uh, my oven has stopped working, so I have to use a uh, one of those manual ones, one of those manual gas powered uh, igniters to make the, the gas oven work. And I still haven't quite worked out where to put the uh, the thingy. Anyway, uh, welcome to Extra Mile. By the way, hello, we're back, we're back, back to regular regular murder miles. Oh, we're back. Um, Let's catch up. I hope you enjoyed uh, New Blue. I was, uh, it was always an odd one because it's kind of like you know, these extra shows that I never know whether people will like. And also it was kind of, you know, I didn't really know Sally and John that well. But I think I think people seem to like it. If you haven't listened to it, do listen to it. It is different. I know it's different. All burpees to accept things that are different. But actually, I thought we did a nice job. Uh, considering we, we didn't really know each other that well, unlike me and PCAG, who know each other very well, and me and PCAG did this in my boat over some beers, and me and Sally and John had to do this over Skype, so with bad tech, bad tech. So um, I think we did a good job for that. So that's not too bad. Uh, what else is going on? We've just done the Glasgow show of how to plan the perfect murder, and then totally balls it up. Um, really good thank you to everyone who came for that it was really good i think we had about 120 there in total the pit you can't see it on the picture because loads of people left before the picture was taken but it was really good thank you to everyone who came you really made uh, a great show it was the first time that me and paul and adam have ever performed together uh in fact we've only been in a room before once before together so uh, <laughs> uh i've performed with adam a couple of times i've performed with paul once but we've never done three together and paul and adam have never performed before but we did a good show we had fun we had a giggle that was our mission at the start we said let's not focus on details uh let's just focus on having fun and if we have fun the audience will have fun and you know i think we did a good job so uh yeah so that was good we're doing the london show as mentioned on the 11th of august uh come along it's like two and a half hours there's a meet and greet afterwards uh there's prizes we'll do a little quiz we'll have a giggle it's it, it's just nice and easy fun so come along to that it'd be lovely to see everyone there uh, we hope to do some more shows as well hopefully manchester maybe liverpool i've got some other date places that we might do as well so but it depends on the success of the london one if we sell out that one 
that will give us a spur to keep going uh just to mention we've got the meet and greet with mike from dark poutine on saturday the 23rd of june july in london gotta do my tea i've pre-done my tea so uh all i've got to do is let it sit uh there we go I'm, uh, I think, it, was it Louise? You sent me my kangaroo mug. I think I, I thanked you in the last episode. Uh, but I haven't written your name on here. I'm using the kangaroo mug at the moment. So thank you for that. It's got my brew in there. Um, meet up with Mark, uh, Mike from Dark Poutine, Saturday the 23rd of July. Uh, link in the show notes. Uh, come along. It's it's entirely free. Have a chat. Have a giggle. It'll be a laugh. Uh, I'm going to inv- invite some other podcasters along. You know, if you're free and in London, swing by. The idea is you don't have to stay over. It's just, you know, start at six, finish at pub closing time. All good. Poor, right. What else? Um, done the research for the next 12 to 13 episodes, which takes us to October. So that's good. There's a little bit, little bit of a break I'm going to have in October. I'm not too sure what I'm going to do there. I'll find, I'll find something to keep you entertained. Uh, but that'll tide us over for the rest of the season and the final episode finishes i think it's new year's eve or new year's day core dear for anyway good to be back good good to be back it's good to be back um i've just was singing a gary glitter song shouldn't do that pedo right let's do some quiz questions uh, as always don't forget i will may edit them out or i may balls them up but there we goes um question number one what job did Emmy's husband do as a job? That's not even a good sentence. What job did Emmy's husband do? There you go, that's better. Question number two. What part of London was Emmy's care home in? Question number three. Name the couple who owned the care home. Question number four. What was the name of the play they went to see? Question number five. Uh, uh, what theatre was the play on? See, see, no one's been testing your brain while I've been away. You, you probably, your brain's probably gone all, all flabby and now I'm back and now you're like, oh shit, I, I, I forgot I need to pay attention with a Murder Mark podcast. Uh, question number six. Whose book is the play written on? So the play they went to see, whose book is it based on? Is it written by? Whose play is whose book is the play written by? <laughs> yeah, back to creating questions that don't make sense. Question seven: What is the nearest murder to this one, uh, as mentioned in Murder Mile a couple of episodes ago? Question number eight. Question number eight. Question number eight. Uh, name the Italian care assistant who went with Emmy to the theatre. Question number nine. What age was Emmy when she died? And question ten. What foodstuff did Emmy carry in her black bag? There we go. Let me go and grab my tea because it would have it would have stewed by now. There we go. Lovely jubbly. Oh, spoon's hot. Spoon's hot. There we go. There we go. The kangaroo mug. G'day, mate. G'day. Simon Mangrels. It's truth. See, I'm now officially an Australian. There we go. Um, what I'm going to do, because this is a three-part series, uh, and as always, I haven't, I've, I've drafted and I've researched parts two and three, but I haven't written them yet. Um, 
what I'm going to do is I'll just focus on the things to do with Emmy's life now and then the stuff to do with anything inside the hotel and all that we will deal in the later episodes so uh emmy uh i didn't mention at the start her her birth name only because this is slightly dubious at the moment so um in in the archive files oh where did i get this from that's a good point this so this case has been on my mind for years i i I read about it briefly in a news news article ages ago when i was searching for kind of murders in bayswater and i heard this and it had been flagged up again about three years ago because I think the granddaughter was trying to get more information on the murder. Um, now I'd already done a search kind of online, stuff like that. Uh, but there was very little information on there. The news reports were sketchy and a lot of the information was incorrect. Um, so I started doing my reverse searches that I do, which is if I can't find things, because I know that things in the archive over years, sometimes the archivists are good and sometimes they're they've been terrible like sometimes you will find a file that just says london or murder and it, it shouldn't they should really put proper details so you can catalog things properly that someone has been really lazy especially many years ago um so um this one i did a reverse search and i started finding little details so i started researching little details and then i found i'm trying to give away t- too much that this the the police had a whole file on this and this actually went to court which we'll get to in part three. Um, so that's so by doing a reverse search, I actually found out more information than I could ever hope to learn that never went to the press because I don't think the press really cared that much. And the information, because it was kind of uh, the... Per- uh, I can't tell you. I, I'm not going to say too much because I'm going to spoil stuff. But yeah, I basically I, I, I got the police file and the, uh, the court records and things like that. And it's fascinating. So this is why I know so much. Um, so... Um, I didn't mention about her surname at the start, because her, her birth name isn't Werner. Um, in the police files, the archive files and the court records, uh, her surname, birth name is Emmy Breyer. But uh, someone who claims to be a family member uh, have been doing some genealogy stuff. And on the Ancestry website, their surname is Brick. So, uh, because that's dubious, I didn't go. I didn't exactly pin down which one it was because I, I can't find the birth record. So I kept. So I deliberately didn't mention it. There we go. Um, as mentioned, she was about four and a half stone in weight. This was at the end of her life, four foot nine. But she wasn't much bigger throughout her life. She was only a little lady. Um, throughout her life, she pretty much maintained her Czech accent. Um, she had kind of neck length brown hair always neat when you look at her pictures are always neat but when you see the pictures of her at the end of life she's you know like like a lot of people do you know my nan was always the same she was always like nan was always impeccably neat but as kind of life goes on and you start to lose the will to live she kind of just you know, she wasn't messy at the end but you could kind of see that people start letting themselves go a bit uh, a very intelligent woman very educated as we've seen um i hope i got my pronunciation of bruno correct bruno uh which is uh where she was born the second largest city uh czech city after prague uh what else we got father was a lawyer don't worry that's not the question uh mother couldn't find out about the mother but the mother seemed to be a housewife uh younger sister anna who would later remarry uh and move to london there was no real details about what happened to anna and the mother so 
because it wasn't in any of the files, I suspected that they had probably managed to flee the country early. A lot of families, especially when the, when the uh, Nazis were coming in, would split. You know, you try and save as many people as possible by splitting in half as, as you can. So it looks like uh, Emmy may have stayed with her father uh, and her daughter, and then the mother and the younger sister, Anna, may have fled. So it looks like they may have gone to London at some point, or who knows? I mean, maybe maybe they only had enough money to get two of them to London, so they decide to save the wife and the, the younger daughter first, hoping to find another way to get everyone out later on. Uh, what else we got? What else we got? Um... Uh, yeah uh, 1925 when she was 21 she married albert uh they live together what else we got what else we got as, as i've tried to mention with this episode because it's originally before i found the file i wasn't going to do this as an episode because there wasn't enough in there but when i pulled out the archive file uh because they'd done a whole back history of her life uh I mean, they hadn't done a full history, but they got bits and pieces enough for me to kind of build a picture of what she'd gone through. I started to realise kind of more about the kind of mental health trauma of Holocaust survivors. So that's really what episode one is about. Because um, I think we always get a bit, little bit bogged down when we see all these documentaries and you see... You know, we all seem to believe that the war started September 1939 and then May 1945 with Hitler dead. We all went, yay, everything's fine again. There was a little bit of rationing, but basically it was all over. But what we seem to forget is that with Holocaust survivors, the trauma keeps going. So what I've tried to do with this is is show a picture of how of the tragedy of what's going on. But even when they were released, released the trauma's still there. And many, many Holocaust survivors did go on to lead better lives because they were kind of pushing themselves forward and using that kind of the horror that they'd been through to make sure that their their loved ones kind of survived and had a better life because they didn't want them to undergo poverty or hunger or you know trauma or whatever was going on ever again but for many as we show it's weird isn't it we all kind of we pick up on it through World War One, and we're all kind of going, oh, look, this is, uh, you know, they're suffering with shell shock, but we now call it PTSD. But no one ever really talks about PTSD of Holocaust survivors. It's just kind of, it's almost like it's swept under a carpet or, do you know, because we, maybe because we don't see those horrifying videos that we're used to of kind of ex-soldiers in hospital with jerky motions, you know, unable to kind of do anything because we don't see that because you know i'm guessing a lot of people a lot of the holocaust survivors were quite private people and just wanted to get on with their lives there are no kind of major videos that we've seen or maybe we're all desensitized to it now so uh yeah um what else we got uh i'm not gonna this is really weird i don't want to give away too much it's uh so I'm kind of looking through all the details, all the details. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's have a look about who Emmy was. This is more about Emmy when she was kind of older, because um, we've got, I've went through the full details of kind of what she endured during the Holocaust, and uh, um, that's quite horrific. I mean, I can't imagine any of us going through that and surviving. I think we're. I th- 
I think we're not not a stronger breed, and I think I think a lot of people would probably collapse if they didn't have access to their phone or the internet. Do you know, I think unfortunately we've got a little bit flaky at the moment, and a little bit too pampered and privileged. Whereas people of kind of like eighty years ago worked had a tougher life and worked harder jobs with for less money and less privileges and you know less luxuries you know, i mean look at look at us like computers and phones and what you know people start grumbling when their podcast doesn't turn up on time and you know oh god and they spend all day on uh, tweeting about shit that they don't need to and, and grumbling because a cup of tea is about 10p more expensive it's like oh get a life I've been using this all week. A friend of mine was grumbling about their life, and I just I, I messaged him and said, "Just to let you know, I'm writing an episode this week about a lady who su- survived the Holocaust." Just to put your life into context, and it's like you're not surviving the Holocaust. You're like you're upset about the most basic of crap in the world that really is un- unimportant. Whereas you look at other people's lives and you just think, "Wow, I'm glad I don't have to go through that." Um, so. Um, she got as as we mentioned, Emmy had really, really aged over the last couple of years. When you kind of look at her, she's kind of. I mean, she's only sixty eight. In a oh, I gave her gave her that that was the final question. You can have that one for free. There you go. Everybody got a free free answer to the question. Uh, if you get that one wrong now, <laughs> what an idiot! That's what I'm going to say. What an idiot! I've given you the answer if you've got it wrong. She was sixty nine. <laughs> Or was she? Or she said, "Luckily, I'm looking at something now that says 62." But she wasn't. That's when she when she first went into the care home, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, she looked a lot older than she was. She was small. She was very weak. She was very frail. Uh, she'd got a curvature of the spine, which is why she walked with a stoop. Therefore, she always needed help getting upstairs, which is kind of ironic given the fact that in her care home they put her on the first floor. You would think if someone struggles to get upstairs, they put her on the ground floor. Yeah, anyway. Um, uh, she's got acute hearing loss. Uh, she struggles to hear and it infuriates her the fact that she can't hear. She's got advanced dementia, uh, a bad temper, uh, who the proprietor of the home, the one, the lady who co-runs it, she said, what I call brainstorms, it comes in waves. Uh, as mentioned, she suffered a curvature of the spine, which was natural. Uh, although she had a healthy heart, she was frail and she required help climbing the stairs. Um, by this point, she no longer was no longer taking after herself. Um, she had prior operations, which I mentioned. So there were two old surgical scars bilaterally on the pronto uh, on the frontoparietal regions. Uh, so basically on the temples where she'd had a lobotomy they're not that visible on the photos but she but obviously because they drill into your head uh she'd obviously the the uh the bone tissue doesn't repair um she liked going to the theater as mentioned she was a member of a local bridge club and it is said that she got on well with the staff uh at the hotel but she and actually some of the care staff at the hotel but she just didn't like the people who ran it um she had a habit of listening into other people's conversations and making strange noises uh, she always left her door open when she slept at home this is in the care home but she never uh left her bedroom window open uh which is 
important for the next episode there you go um as mentioned that night she was wearing a woolly mohair scarf uh, a brown cardigan and she had a black handbag um and they're all important as always i've put details in there which you may think are unimportant but all kind of are important um emmy often came into town to visit her sister anna who lived in paddington uh, apparently the reason why they were meeting up that weekend was because there was an anniversary and i've looked at their birthdays and things like that and parents marriage and things like that i can't work out what it is but apparently they were meeting up because it was an important anniversary um the care home that they've got uh is still there today and it's still a care home today it's called the limes uh, it still looks identical to how it was if you're a patron subscriber um all of the kind of photos this will be part of the photos that's on there it still looks nice it's kind of two-story series of two-story semi-detached 1920s houses white walls black timber frames on a leafy street it looks nice it really does uh it doesn't look like it doesn't look like a care home it looks like just some houses uh, as mentioned she was living off a widow's pension and a disability allowance from the german government uh she was on roughly 210 pounds per month um the rent for the care home was about 100 pounds a month god i wish it was that now because care homes can be bloody expensive uh her she also hired a cleaner on 10 pounds a month a lady called mrs bennett um but the basically the money she was living off was reparations from the german government what else do we got uh let's not go into that bit let's not go into that bit but yeah no she seemed to like the hotel she felt safe there we don't know how she found the hotel maybe it was just because it was a cheap one uh but she seemed to like the people there they tried to put her in the same room often as possible uh often in room 17 was where she'd stayed a couple of times before but because the hotel was busy that weekend they put her into room 11 uh which is not too far from where all the staff are also and uh it's on the first floor as well but as mentioned like paul would give her a hand up the stairs and uh, she'd become friends with linda the receptionist so kind of that's why paul called her up and said hey mrs w's here uh first time she stayed there was may 1972 she'd stayed there a couple of times before um she didn't enjoy staying at the old people's home which is why she stayed there what else when you look at the pictures it's a very basic room um two locks on the door uh tea tray um her her things she kind of knew what she was doing like she'd turn up she'd bring her bag she'd bring her clothes she'd bring the box of foodstuffs which is one of the quiz questions which i haven't ballsed up she'd bring a box of tissues with her um and that was it the towels were supplied bed sheets were supplied she kind of liked it it was kind of simple simple and nice and cheap and she felt safe there um let's not go into much more we're going to dive into more about i was going to do a whole thing about the theater in this one but i'm going to save it for the next one so you can kind of you can see her day and you can see what's going through and it's 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 fascinating because there's it's nothing there's literally nothing it's not like it's not like she bumps into someone and they have an argument it's just uh it's a very empty day but this is uh this is one of these episodes where this is one of these series where i have to i have to i've already planted a lot of things in there already for you to kind of absorb so uh yeah lots 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 to enjoy lots to enjoy 
Uh, I think that's it. I don't want to tell you too much. I think that's it. I think I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, and then we're going to do the quiz questions. Because I'm, next week, next week's episode, there's a lot of details that I want to go into. And I don't want to ruin it in kind of extra miles. So let's go and do those quiz questions. And I can have a cup of tea. And... Ooh... got bakeable tarts i've been on my diet for ages i'm still a fat bastard still a fat bastard i'm guessing it won't go i'm not as balloony and huge as before but i still got still got a pot belly on me still got a bit of bit of mubs on me uh, still got a bit of a chin but you know what i'm trying to let let a little bit of bad come back into my life but not too much not too much chocolate except when i was hung over at the um how to plan the perfect murder the glasgow show where we got all very pissed afterwards very pissed yeah i was chatting to paul about it the next day so i woke up in the morning and i'd planned to get a, like a four o'clock train in in the afternoon so i could enjoy glasgow because kind of my granddad grew up there and I've, I've been there a couple of times before but i thought it'd be nice to kind of explore the sites unfortunately i was too hungover so i went and had a nice big scottish breakfast and then I went to watch the Top Gun movie, which was all right. And then I went, I had a katsu curry. <laughs> then I was just like, then I hopped on the train and just listened to some podcasts. That was it. I did nothing all day. And I ate uh, a load, loads of Kit Kats. And I bought a load of those uh, mini cathedral ch- cheddar cheeses. Because kind of cheese is kind of the go-to thing when you got a hangover. And a coffee. And I had a beer. Because I thought a beer would sort me out. Yeah. I was in a bad state the next morning. But nice being in a hotel. I found a cheapy hotel in Glasgow, 65 quid. Very nice. It was only cheapy, but a little guest house. But immediately opposite the Oran Moor, the, the place where we were performing, it was like a one-minute walk, brilliant. Nice and cheap. And I had a bath. So I watched a little bit of telly, because I don't have a telly here, and I had a bath. I was able to lie in the bath for a couple of hours. That was brilliant. That was well worth the money. Love it. So, let's do the quiz questions, of which some of them I may have ballsed up. Let's see how many I did balls up. Right. Question number one. What job did Emmy's husband do? He was a dentist. Question number two. What part of London was Emmy's care home in? It's in Finchley. Question number three. Name the couple who owned the care home. It was Edgar and Margaret Coldwell. Question number four. Name the play. Uh, what was the name of the play they went to see? It was Move Over Mrs. Markham. That took me ages to find. That was... Uh, I'm one of these people where I need to know details. And if you look in the press, they f- they fucked up as always. They said... Like, the the scant details they had, they went... Uh, people... Th- uh, it is said that she may have gone to see a play that evening uh with a friend but obviously it wasn't a friend it was a care, it was two a, a care assistant and a, a receptionist they don't didn't mention what the theater was and they didn't mention what the play was so i managed to find out what the theater was because uh hetty had booked the tickets but she never mentioned what the play was so i had to go through the archives to go through all of the plays that were on at the vaudeville to work i just gave away the next answer to find out what the name of the play was and it was Move over, Mrs. Markham. There we go. So, question number five. Um, what what theatre was the play on? That was the Vaudeville. 
the vaudeville which is on the strand so back of covent garden still there today uh question number six whose book is the play written by whose book is the play written by that's almost a, a, a sentence it was ray cooney so ray cooney would uh create uh, loads of all these farces i think he did like run for your wife and things like that do you know where you have one couple in one room and one in the other and they're seeing each other and then kind of doors are opening and husbands and wives are swapping rooms and uh do you know uh someone the vicar comes in and then someone's trousers around the ankle and they go oh we're missus yeah i watched one of them ages ago my my mate john thought it was hilarious he could barely contain himself he was like rocking back and forth again ah this is hilarious i thought it was a little bit it was a little bit seaside humorish but there we go um I watched a good one, a good farce on on uh, on the Charing Cross Road before COVID kicked in. I can't remember what the theatre one. It was a, a really good play, uh, and it was a farce one. You see, kind of uh, the I think it was the making of a play or something like that on the front. It's not the play that goes wrong. It's the making of a play at the front side, and then the second half of the play, the theatre moves around, and you see the back end of it. So everything you've just seen. You see that, but you see the reverse of the play. So what's going on when this kind of... It's meant to be like a murder mystery that's going on. It's really good. And uh, they announced beforehand, they said, uh, uh, such and such actress isn't able to do it today, so uh, uh, her part will be played by the understudy. And everyone was like, grumble, 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 understudy. But, Jesus, wow. It was like, this is one of those slick plays where you have to be pin sharp to get everything right. And given the fact that she's not performing live on stage every night, she's the understudy, so she's watching and having to rehearse in, around this. Wow, the timing was impeccable. So, yeah, really good. Um, can't remember what it is called. It's good, though. Um, question seven. What is the nearest murder to this one? As mentioned in Murder Mile a couple of episodes ago. It was the stabbing of US Airman Stanley Thurman. When when I was meeting my brother a couple of months ago, he was staying on Inverness Terrace, and uh, he met. I said, "Where are you where are you staying?" He was like, "Inverness Terrace," and I was like, "Ah, oh, I'm covering two murders on that street." And he was like, "Oh shit, <laughs> this is why you, <laughs> why you should never tell me where you're staying because I will tell you where the nearest murder is." Luckily, he was staying at number one. Stanley was murdered outside forty four to fifty, and this obviously is eighty eight to ninety two. So the other side of the street. But still, small street, lots of murder. I'm sure there's more murders on that street. Question number eight. Did I balls this one up? I think I did. Uh, question eight. What was the name of the Italian care assistant who went with Emmy to the theatre? It was uh, Giovanna. Question number nine. What age was Emmy when she died? She was 68. See, there's the free one for you. So I expect everyone to have got at least one right, or maybe two, because I did balls up two. And question number 10. What was the food stuff that Emmy carried in her black bag? It was some TUC crackers, some tuck crackers. Oh, I like tuck crackers. They're those kind of round ones that are kind of aren't as dry as ca uh, cream crackers. And they have a little bit of a sweetness to it, a kind of an orange tint. Mm, very nice. So that's me done. <sighs> Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we shall be back 
next week with part two then it'll be part three uh then we've got a bit of a run of kind of single episodes and then i think we end with a two-parter but there's some really good ones this season there's some really interesting cases uh and if you thought this episode was sad you wait till you hear the one about lena jesus christ that's that's horrible (laughs) it's just just tragic uh so yeah uh so i hope no one boohooed too too much listening to this one uh but there's 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 more tragedy to come what do you expect you're listening to a true crime podcast what do you expect laughter right have yourself a good week people i'm gonna have a little bit of a cake yeah and then i'm gonna have a walk in the woods and even better listen to that in the woods are little munt jack deer which are really cute and then not too far from me is a, a, a sanctuary where there's wolves, uh, which is really weird. At night time, you can hear the wolves going, ooh, as wolves do. Right, that's me done. <laughs> Have yourself a good week. Stay safe, everyone. Be good. Bye-bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.